It happened, dude. It happened. Dynasty perspectives that may not be the same as your own. The other guy. Hard cuts, just like a running back. Mm-hmm. There's a whole lot of risk. Questionable. Banged up. Nothing. Incorrect. And then now it's two o'clock in the morning and I look down at my phone and it's Justice Hill calling. Which is absurd. Do it, it's going to be complete meritocracy. My heart was racing. I said no. Super tough. Oh, super, super, super tough. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, I really like this. Yes. Breakout candidate. Yes. I think a lot of Iowa fans might think that. <laughs> yes, I'm not sure anybody knows exactly how it's going to go down. <laughs> that mustache is a mustache. Welcome back to the Dynasty Wire. This is Iowa. Unfortunately, today, DG will not be joining us. Best wishes for him as he is dealing with a hurricane. I hope all is well there. A lot has transpired since our last episode. And speaking of the previous episodes, we have been telling you to sell Henry. But today, our guest is a Henry that is a screaming buy. This is a writer for Sleeper Wire. We share a lot of leagues together. Part of the group of fantasy elite. This man is a guru. This man is a friend. And I look up to this guy for a lot of football knowledge and understanding. He's part of the cream of the crop. Welcome to the show, Henry St. Clair. Thanks, Iowa. It's a pleasure to join you. Been wanting to for a while. Always sharing knowledge with one another, discussing things behind the scenes. Like you said, we value each other's opinions greatly. You certainly taught me a lot of things in regards to what positions are more valuable than others, how to win trades by adding in little tidbits of stuff that you want. Definitely been a good experience. And that's what a lot of this is. Not only sharing things that you you know you want to hear and points you are curious of how they might be discussed, you want to hear a perspective of someone else, something that differs from your own. The normal-brained approach when you listen is to hear something whether you like or don't like and just follow what you like. The galaxy-brained approach is to realize that when you listen to someone else and you understand their approach, whether it is the same as yours or not, that is the approach of someone else out there. So you now understand another motive and another mindset. So you take that and you apply that to your leagues. There might be several people in that league that have that same mindset. So if you disagree and you see a difference in value, boom, that's how you attack it. Learning different perspectives is really what we're doing here. There's a, a whole lot of different perspectives on how you can take several of the news lines that have crossed our feeds since the last cast. There has been a couple of trades, a couple of injuries. We went through cut day and then the following signing day, and then here we are to react. Not only that, Monday we drafted a startup, one of the biggest lines right off the rip, J.K. Dobbins, done for season. Massive fallout and redraft and dynasty. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Absolutely. Like you said, we just got done with that startup a couple days ago. And hearing other people's opinions on injuries, them not quite understanding 
the historical significance of certain injuries. We saw with the Akers injury, people thinking it's career ending, the ETN injury, people not quite even understanding if a Liz Frank is a bone, is it a ligament, is it a midfoot sprain, what exactly is it, what's the timetable, J.K. Dobbins with the ACL. We've seen several running backs come back from ACL injuries here in recent history, so a lot of people feel rosier about Dobbins' future outlook with an ACL and LCL, like we were going to see with Saquon, saw with Adrian Peterson, saw with Jake Funk, a seventh-round pick by the Rams this year, had both his ACLs torn in college, still good enough to get drafted into the NFL. So Dobbins is a guy that most people feel the best about of this group of injured running backs. So you said it there. I'm going to ask you a question and then a follow-up question, like a bonus. Rank for me, ETN, Akers, and Dobbins. Gosh, well, the Akers injury is one that people love to harp on because we haven't seen a great running back this early in his career suffer an Achilles injury. A lot of people think running back can't come back from an Achilles. Well, we've seen players in other sports do it. We've seen Terrell Suggs in the NFL do it. Seen Demarius Thomas do it early in his career, come back, have multiple thousand yard seasons. Positions that require explosiveness off the line, hard cuts, just like a running back. So you would like to think he can come back the same. That being said, I would still prefer the Dobbins injury of an ACL, that being the anterior cruciate ligament in the front of the knee, and then the lateral collateral ligament in the side of the knee towards the outside of your body. Mm -hmm. There's some fear that maybe you could interfere with him, you know, cutting left to right, but he suffered injuries in high school, came back, was great in college. I would probably personally have to go Dobbins, ETN, Akers. I was a little lower on acres before but i don't know understandably so so with etn down j rob would you rather have him over all three injured running backs or somewhere in between i personally would have j rob beneath all of them i think all three of these guys are going to come off of their injuries and go back to being the running back one on their team unquestioned dobbins was listed as the co-starter with gus edwards so it was yet to be seen. They had a relative split last year with obviously Mark Ingram starting the year. Dobbins' role increases the year went on because, of course, he was a rookie last year. ETN, obviously, we have yet to see how he was going to be used with J-Rob. J-Rob proved himself last year, but to a different coaching staff. He's an undrafted free agent. The current staff has no tie to him. They didn't see what he did last year in person. We saw the Jags, Urban Meyer, come in and really lambaste DJ Chark for playing soft. And that's not a guy that he had a tie to. So there were rumors that he might trade Chark, he might get rid of Chark, try to replace him with Kadarius Tony in the draft. So it's important to understand that if a coaching staff didn't see a guy do it, it's not their hand-selected guy. Like we saw Cliff Kingsbury replace Josh Rosen a year later after he was the 10th overall pick. If you have that little respect for a 10th overall pick, imagine what you have for an undrafted free agent running back. Nothing. So if J-Rob is going to do it, it's going to be complete meritocracy. He's going to have to prove himself to this coaching staff. Yeah, and this coaching staff spent a first-round pick on a running back. I share a lot of the same sentiments. I personally am unsure how I want to rank them. There's negative side effects being more prone to injury with the injuries that Akers and Dobbins have had. Maybe ETN is the least severe, but they all share a similar amount of risk. They all share a similar amount of what I would consider talent, at least. They all have adequate draft capital. I find it really hard to rank those three. I was really curious your opinion there. For me, I think at this point, I want James Robinson ahead of all three injured running backs. And this is why. This season, as soon as J-Rob puts up a 20-point game, 
you're going to look at ETN and Acres and Dobbins on your IR and say, well, you know, they put up 20-point games, but they don't play for nine months. What have you done for me lately? There's, a, there's an opportunity for you to flip J-Rob for one of these injured guys plus later on in the season taking advantage of current production, flipping it to a win now team that has ETN on their IR. I could potentially get more out of James Robinson for the vast majority of this season. Once you get halfway through the season, it starts becoming clear who's the rebuilds and who are the win nows. That's when ETN, Akers, and Dobbins are going to be popular players to acquire in a trade. A lot of it is a patience game. As far as for win now, obviously you'd rather have J-Rob because at least he's going to record a stat this season. I see arguments for wherever you want to put him there. You touched on it briefly, Gus Edwards. The knee-jerk reaction from everyone I've seen is to immediately bump him to an RB2 for this season, which I think is valid. But I think the co-starter with Dobbins things, there's obviously going to be an RB compliment in that offense there. Dobbins was uh, good in his own right last year and was progressing. I don't think they looked at Gus as the feature back. Like, this wasn't the plan for Gus. Immediately, Tyson Williams jumps Justice Hill, which Justice Hill, I loved him initially. He broke my heart. I loved him again, and he broke my heart. And then now it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and I look down at my phone, and it's Justice Hill calling. No, Justice Hill. Just no. Well, maybe occasionally here and there, but no, no, Justice Hill. What do you think about that backfield? Absolutely. And just to brush over the Dobbins injury again, people will get the fear of Sony Michelle and Todd Gurley, guys that have had knee issues in the past. The difference here is we don't think it's a degenerative knee issue, right? There's still cartilage left in his knee. He can rebound from this, unlike a guy who has had consistent problems with it. I think Gus Edwards will be an RB2, and that's not quite an overreaction for this season, is because the Ravens last year, people like to say, you know, Lamar RB1 on the Ravens. The Ravens last year had 1,887 rushing yards from running backs, which is absurd. That's top five in the league. Their production is crazy. They're one of the best offenses. Not always passing touchdowns, although Lamar has had crazy efficiency there. They gave Gus the restricted free agent tender and then extended him two more years on top of that, average $4.5 million per year. So he's a guy that after this season, he'll go back to being a complimentary back. But Dobbins long-term, if you are someone that believes that the injury is more substantial, that Gus could potentially be a split backfield mate, an RBBC running back by committee there in Baltimore for a lot of the career. Tyson Williams... I guess he's currently the cuff to have in Baltimore, which could be super valuable if Gus goes down. It's still really, you know, recent since that injury happened. So it's yet to be seen if they're going to add anyone. Justice Hill is banged up. I'd imagine they want to add someone behind Gus and Tyson Williams. Tyson Williams, I believe, is a BYU product. Two years ago, came out. Wasn't anything sensational, obviously. If you get recruited just by BYU, unless you happen to be Mormon, it's not most guys' first places they choose to go play football. So perhaps not a a guy that had a lot of suitors. Yep, understandably. Uh, My initial reaction when they asked for what what was your immediate thoughts as soon as you saw Dobbins went down, my first thought was Gurley. This guy already visited once and they didn't sign him. 
which makes me think they could at any point. They did have a, I saw a report or a headline or whatever that said they're not interested in signing Gurley at this time. Maybe that means it's a later time. Maybe it means they're waiting to see who's cut and who they can get. I wouldn't completely and totally roll out Gurley not playing on the Ravens at some point during this season. And I just, I just can't get behind the Gus bus. I think it has value, but I think it's it might be a value where you're just standing on thin ice. All it takes is just one mediocre trade, fifth, sixth round pick for a running back, and Gus becomes half as valuable as he is currently in a lot of eyes. So it might be a sell window for Gus if you can get what the max perceived value might be there. Trying to figure out backfields after an RB goes down is certainly a challenge, and the same can be said for Acres, where Xavier Jones cut uh he was hurt henderson has been dinged and jake funk is still on the team but we haven't touched on it since last episode they traded for michelle man i was talking about it last episode i was really curious where michelle might go if he was cut if he went to atl no the the rams traded for michelle man it happened dude it happened what do you think of the rams backfield now Unlike a lot of people out there, I don't think Michelle's a terrible running back. People invested probably way more than they should have in Dynasty Leagues into Sony Michelle. First round draft capital, Patriots backfield. It's always unpredictable who's going to get the work. He had that great freshman season in the NFL, the playoff breakout, wound up having knee problems. I think we knew about those before the draft, but people didn't quite take them as seriously as they should have. The Rams wound up giving up a fourth rounder and a sixth rounder for him. They intended to give up less, but the NFL said, no, you can't give up a conditional potential compensatory pick. The Rams gave up significant amount of draft capital for a guy when they could have gone out and gotten Todd Gurley back or Le'Veon Bell, who I think would be an interesting candidate for the Ravens because he was a Steeler, you know, stick it to the Steelers there. Right. But I think Michelle, as far as that goes, you know, like you said, Xavier Jones tearing his Achilles, just like Cam Akers. Apparently the trainers must be doing something weird there. They're not Dr. Stewart. No. But I did stay at Holiday Inn Express last night. Sonny Michelle is a guy that I view as a clear running back cuff to Henderson. Henderson's a guy that's been banged up. The coaching staff has proven that they don't believe he can carry that workload by himself. I think Michelle is a guy, you know, one of the better offenses in the league there with Stafford, Woods, Cup, McVeigh, obviously, at the helm of it all. He's a guy that could be very valuable right now. Yeah, just like Lance and Fields need to ask their respective teams to hire Tyrod's trainers. It, n- nobody wants to hire a Rams trainer if uh, they're worried about the health of their Achilles. There have been a few more injuries that have altered the dynasty landscape, specifically maybe even like a tight end premium league, and that's Irv Smith done for season. Irv Smith was someone I personally felt was even a little bit more valuable in a tight end premium league, where a lot of Irv Smith's value is baked into how many catches he's going to get, even if he's used a lot between the 20s or whatever in a tight end premium league, where you are rewarded for catches specifically. Irv Smith stood out a little bit more in those leagues leagues compared to the remainder of the tight ends when in comparison to a non-tight end premium league yeah man irv smith done for season you think this means amir smith marset season i think a lot of iowa fans might think that (laughs) irv smith like you said that torn meniscus fish hook tear they have tyler conklin a guy that they've had for a while more as a blocking tight end 
They go out and they trade for Chris Herndon from the Jets. And I'm sure that the Jets are absolutely thrilled about trading away Chris Herndon, a guy that the coaching staff reportedly had working with the twos, the threes, not even working at all. Seems like a cut candidate. And the Vikings wound up giving up a fourth rounder and in turn got Herndon in the sixth back. He's a guy that people like the athletic profile of coming out. He was a sleeper and redraft a couple years ago, had the PED suspension. He's really been all over the place. Whoever the tight end winds up being there with Conklin just finally getting rid of that Q tag, questionable, banged up, Herndon could be the tight end of the Vikings. There's been a lot of love for Herndon over the years, and he's another one that's like heartbreak, get back together, break up again kind of player. Definitely opportunity there. The fact that they're willing to go out of their way to give up draft capital to acquire this tight end makes me think that they're not going to do that for a tight end who isn't going to be on the field. This guy's going to get another chance. So if you've always believed in him, he's going to get a fair chance. There's a chance that Herndon could be a thing again. While injuries have paved the way for him, Colts have their own news. Hilton is going to miss some time. Now, this isn't like Irv Smith and Dobbins where they're done for the season necessarily, at least at this point. But this certainly might impact members of that offense. So with Hilton out, how, how do you see that affecting the Colts? Gosh, well, it's not great for Carson Wentz. Off to a bad start there in Indianapolis. Rough first five games of the year. Quentin Nelson had a very similar foot injury to Carson Wentz himself. Left tackle from last year, Costanzo retired. Their offense is just losing everyone. T.Y. Hilton, like you said, with a neck injury. Coach Wright came out and said he believes that it's not season ending. Well, that's not a great vote of confidence for him returning anytime soon. Placed on the short-term IR, could be as little as three weeks, could be longer, could be a lingering injury for an older player. Michael Pittman, the second year, potential breakout candidate, 34th overall pick in the 2020 draft, six foot four, about 220 from USC. He's a guy that a lot of people like. Paris Campbell, three years ago, came out from Ohio State with Dwayne Haskins. Very fast guy, low four threes. The guy that's had the injury bug himself. He's a guy that now has a lot more opportunities to break out without Hilton. Very similar player, slot guy, fast, little undersized at about six foot, not your prototypical X or Z receiver. Got Mike Strachan, seventh round rookie they really like in camp. Zach Pascal, their own Tim Patrick, a restricted free agent. They're paying 3.4 mil to a guy. If he were out on the streets, other teams would have a lot of interest in. The Colts just like to keep him around to make fantasy managers upset that Pittman and Hilton and now Campbell aren't getting all the targets. Probably not worth rostering, but is going to be annoying. Definitely understand that. Hand in hand with the injuries, trades floating across your timeline, Minshew was traded to the Eagles. Now, this one is an interesting one to discuss between you and me because me, I have a ton of Hurts across my Dynasty League. So my heart says, you know, Hurts is going to be a beast. Hurts is going to be great. But my mind says there's a whole lot of risk there. My heart was racing during the NFL draft when the Eagles traded up. I said, no, they're trading up for a quarterback, but they took Devonta Smith instead. And they still have Hurts. Hurts is a superior rushing quarterback, someone who's not small, but also has rushing skills. He may not be the best passer, which is a common criticism of those with the elite rushing ability, but there's a lot of belief in Hurts. 
and especially for this year because no real competition in my mind, including Minshew, has arrived for this season. Hurts would literally have to lose this job for Minshew to actually make starts this year. And then as far as looking forward, if Hurts isn't great this year, or even if he's okay, they could replace him in the draft. So Hurts is a risky long-term prospect, but a high upside short-term prospect. So it totally depends on your approach for 2021, whether you are into Hertz or not. So in review, my heart loves Hertz, but my mind knows there's a ton of risk. If I can offload Hertz for similar valued assets with less risk, that's the kind of move I'm trying to make. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the Minshew trade, your thoughts on Hertz. Well, one of the first discrepancies in our sort of evaluations of players that became apparent right away was how I felt about Jalen Hurts as a quarterback. I love the guy. He was great in college. Coaches have always spoken highly about his character. Very high character guy. Didn't feel like a Doug Peterson pick in Philadelphia. He felt like a Howie Roseman pick. Roseman, for whatever reason, seems to have job security there and makes bad pick after bad pick after bad pick. Jalen Hurts is a Russian quarterback. He came in at the end of the season with about week 13 area, played four games, went one and three in those four games, completed 52% of his passes, as we all know. He played very well in his first game against the Saints. Big upset, big time win, put up awesome fantasy stats. He put up two rushing touchdowns in a game. You're going to win people weeks. A lot of people found him and won their championships because of him. However, every game that he was in the NFL, it seemed like teams understood that they didn't have to defend the deep ball, that they could come up, they could stack the box, defend him scrambling. He may have caught the Saints off guard, in my opinion, with his ability. They were game planning for Carson Wentz. Jalen Hurts walks out on the field. It's a little bit of a different game when Jalen Hurts is out there. Talk about Minshew for a moment. They cut Nick Mullins, a guy from San Francisco who many thought was awesome at one point. Southern Miss guy, connections to Brett Favre there. Minshew is, for whatever it's worth, the third highest touchdown to interception ratio in NFL history at 3.36 behind only... Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, 37 touchdowns, 11 interceptions in Jacksonville. Did go 1-15 last year, obviously didn't play all of those games. Seemed like they might have benched him at one point to lose games. Minshew wanted back in there to compete, and they were like, nah, we're going to play Jake Luton and try to get the number one overall pick. Minshew reportedly was battling with Trevor Lawrence, as we had that awesome quote that hadn't relieved himself in the bathroom for weeks because he isn't a number two. (laughs) As funny as that is, it shows he ain't going to take it. He ain't no number two. Philadelphia is a team that figures to be one of the worst in the league this year. So perhaps Minshew is a lottery ticket of sorts for them. They hope that he can somehow become their guy. Many have said he's just brought in there to sell jerseys. Not quite a narrative that I agree with, but an interesting angle nonetheless. Someone that I think will probably wind up playing a game or two this year. Interesting. Well, I think Minshew definitely puts stashes in the stands for what it's worth. There's a whole mustache rocking fan base that is going to follow him to Philadelphia. You 
said that Eagles are taking a lottery ticket on Minshew. He's worth a lottery ticket on a dynasty roster. Minshew isn't the worst person to throw down there. If Hurts really sucks and he just continues 50% passer rate and the NFL has figured him out and Minshew gets some starts, at least it would be adequate. I mean, like, he's not one where I'm stashing him thinking, okay, cool, if he gets his shot, it's a QB1. But, you know, Minshew, there, there's worse stashes you could have than Minshew. Some might call him a mustache on your taxi squad. Yes, that mustache is a mustache. It is an interesting point you made about fantasy versus reality in football. Minshew's a guy that's going to be a game manager, right? He doesn't have a cannon arm. Not that Jalen Hurts does, but Minshew is not your prototypical franchise quarterback. There's a reason he's a sixth-round pick. Before that draft, I was told he was going undrafted. In college, he was about to accept a graduate assistant job at Alabama to be with Nick Saban. He was called up and said, hey, do you want to be Washington State's quarterback this year by Ryan Leach, I believe, and plays his way into the NFL. Not exactly a guy that is fantasy relevant. Even when he's the starter, he's a QB2 at best. If there's a quarterback who is taking snaps under center during a week, he has value. And he's typically on a roster as long as your league is of what I would consider average depth. Close to 300 total rostered players. We talked about Minshew as a stash. Someone who has become a stash is Taysom with Winston being uh, labeled as a starter. My reaction with Winston being a starter now, and we can use this to transition to the draft that we had Monday there. I left that draft without a great QB3. My QB3 was Taysom. So I think Taysom at this point is one of the few veterans that are not necessarily taxi eligible that are still worth holding on your roster as long as you have an adequate number of bench spots because I'm a little worried about Winston. But immediately post-draft, I flipped Gallup and a third for Winston. So I have what I have said before, you know, the sum is greater than the parts individually. Uh, Winston and Taysom is what is my QB3 for that startup. How are you accounting for Winston's value knowing that he's got Taysom looking over his shoulder? It was interesting hearing the reports out of camp from New Orleans. The original thought was Michael Thomas goes down to injury, a whole different subject matter there where he ghosts the team, delays his surgery. He's going to be missing the first half of the season, if not more. That made people believe that Taysom Hill might be the favorite for the job, fewer weapons to throw the ball to. Taysom adds an extra element of being able to run the ball, a Swiss Army knife of a player can make the defense have to account for him. It winds up being Winston. The reports at a camp were that Taysom came on late, meaning that he didn't start camp great. Taysom's a guy that hasn't always had the best arm, had the Liz Frank injury in college at BYU, went on a missionary trip, came into the NFL, practice squad of the Green Bay Packers, age 27, wound up getting released from there, latched on in New Orleans, and has been a pet project of Sean Payton ever since. Winston is looking for a career resurgence in New Orleans. He was speaking about Drew Brees late in the year, and he got super emotional. Winston, we saw character issues. There was an incident with an Uber driver. There was the crab leg incident in college. Some character questions with Winston. Brees seems to have taught him how to potentially be a professional. They can be a franchise quarterback. We saw him in preseason connect with Marquez Callaway quite a bit on deep balls. We saw Winston throw for 5,000 yards in Tampa Bay. He had the 30 touchdowns, the 30 interceptions. Supposedly has had shoulder surgery, LASIK, all sorts of improvements on the robot man. He could put up great fantasy numbers from when he's the quarterback. 
But like you said, Taysom is still there. And if he starts turning the ball over, Sean Payton's going to have a short leash. He's got no commitment to Winston on a short-term deal. Winston, however, could play himself into a starting job. Winston seems to me to have somewhat wide range of outcomes and more risk than a lot of quarterbacks that will be rostered as a QB2 with Taysom looking over his shoulder. You know, someone else that has someone looking over their shoulder is Teddy Bridgewater, who was named the starter at the Broncos. I have Teddy Bridgewater on a ton of rosters, and some of it is even from two years ago, where he was a free agent in the free agent pool during a rookie draft, and I was able to take Teddy Bridgewater in a handful of leagues. Uh, This guy has moved around a decent amount. Um, Approaching this season, I looked at the Broncos QB room as, all right, whoever starts the season, I want the other guy, because whoever starts the season is probably going to lose the job, then the other guy will take over and I'll have the guy that finishes the season. Well, Teddy Bridgewater is going to start the season. They invested a second round draft pick in Locke. There's a chance that if Teddy is screwing up or if the Broncos are not winning that they switch to Locke. There's a chance that they switch back to Teddy if Locke is looking terrible. It's just a really confusing situation there. How how are you seeing the Broncos QB room? I was another person that gave Teddy more of a shot at that starting job. We speak to quite a few Broncos fans in our group and a lot of them were dead set on it being locked to start the year. He was a John Elway pick through and through. Vic Fangio is a defensive coordinator. He's the head coach of the Broncos now, but he has always been a defensive coordinator from the Bears, from the Niners back in the day. He said, I need a quarterback, and the offense can figure it out. So Fangio, being the defensive coach that he is, I believed would go with Teddy Bridgewater. I think Teddy Bridgewater is less likely to mess up a game. He's more of a game manager. Locke is more likely to commit turnovers, as we've seen throughout his career. Teddy last year supplied Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, all with good enough numbers to be borderline wide receiver twos. I think it's an upgrade for Judy and Sutton, potentially even Noah Fant. Locke provided a lot of uncertainty. All of those weapons have proven through draft capital, through what people have thought of them, people have seen. They're awesome weapons. They just have not had the quarterback to get them the ball. Jerry Judy had the highest percentage of uncatchable targets last year, courtesy of Drew Locke. Teddy Bridgewater coming in there. I think there's a real shot the Broncos make the playoffs with him. He holds on to the job all year long. I think it's more likely that Drew Locke plays at some point in the year and then potentially plays himself back out of the job. Teddy comes back in. It's going to be one of those messy situations. Like you said, with taxi eligibility, definitely not a guy I would get rid of. Locke being taxi eligible, he's not someone who I'm on my list of drops or who I'm trying to get down to roster size or for any of these hot pickups. Locke, I'm just going to slide him down to taxi and see how it shakes out because I'm not sure anybody knows exactly how it's going to go down. And if I have an opportunity to sell either Locke or Teddy, I'm certainly considering those moves. Knowing I'm only really moving Teddy if I'm secure otherwise at the quarterback position on that team. I think Teddy currently could be sold like a starter. You might have to wait till after week one when he throws a touchdown to Judy, to Fant, and to Sutton. All of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, okay, I really like this offense. I do want some Teddy. You might be able to flip him before the window closes. So ears to the ground for Teddy's value. If it spikes, take, take advantage of it. One last thing on the Taysom and Winston speak is that they cut Kwan Baker and Hogan, and I'm worried that I might have been under 
undervaluing Juwan Johnson. If he plays as the other tight end, or even if, you know, Fishman can't stay healthy and Juwan Johnson ends up being a tight end who plays a large percentage of snaps this year, if it's like a tight end premium league, there is a cheat code. If a player has tight end and wide receiver eligibility, they get the tight end premium bonus. And you can play them at wide receiver. So me, someone who likes to just fade wide receivers unless they're the best value available, this might even be a guy in like the leagues worth a full point premium or like a Scott Fish scoring. He might be someone you can actually slide into a wide receiver slot and is performing like a wide receiver two if he were to hit. You know, it's a lot of projection at this point, but the point being the dual eligibility for someone who is actually playing meaningful meaningful snaps or has the potential to play meaningful snaps. I think that is a value that is often overlooked if you have some sort of tight end premium. You might have loved a baker. Maybe you were a baker's man. I was indeed a Baker's man. It was all about opportunity. He went to South Alabama with a sixth round pick, perhaps even seventh. Had an interesting profile, received several end arounds, jet sweeps. He was better with the ball in his hand than he was as a true receiver. Reports early on where he was working at slot Z. He's traditionally more of a flanker receiver. Looks like they cut him. I would expect him to be back on practice squad with what they currently have being... Marquez Calloway, little Jordan Humphrey, Deontay Harris, who's got his legal problems. Tells me the Traquan Smith injury probably isn't that terrible and the Troutman's injury isn't that bad. Otherwise, they wouldn't have cut as many receivers as they have. They still have virtually no depth at wide receiver. The Saints are a team I would look out for to make a move unless they're just going with what they have. Yep, I know I jumped back there for a second, but a lot of these QB rooms can be confusing. And a QB room that got a lot less confusing would be the New England Patriots QB room, as they have cut Cam Newton. My boy Mac Jones is the starter now. So, celebration noises for Mac Jones, but Cam Newton, now a free agent. How are you seeing Cam find his next job? The Patriots did Cam a great service by releasing him. They could have traded him. Like you said, Minshew fetched the sixth rounder. Newton, potentially in any jersey, might have sold to some diehard Cam Newton fans. I'd imagine the Cowboys, with their depth of the recently acquired Will Greer and Cooper Rush, would love for Cam Newton to go there. Cam's got his pick of the litter now. I think he's going to handpick a job where he feels he can compete or perhaps wait around for an injury. We saw Big Ben go down to that Tommy John injury in 2019, the elbow injury, knocked him out of the season. If Cam is available at that point, he walks straight into a starting job. I think that's what Cam Newton's going to want. He is a capable quarterback. Mac Jones is a guy I liked pre-draft quite a bit. I thought the Niners would have been crazy to pass on him at three, which they did. Was easily the most NFL-ready quarterback to me, much akin to Joe Burrow. He had one year of excellence in college, caught lightning in a bottle, put up Heisman-type performance. Obviously, he didn't win it. His wide receiver did in Devonta Smith. But Mac Jones doesn't quite look the part. People like to juxtapose the pictures of Mac Jones with his dad bod and the cigar next to Cam Newton's workout pictures. And it's funny, but Mac Jones throughout the preseason has proven exactly what you should have seen on tape. And it was the ability to execute an offense, find the open guy, diagnose things pre-snap. He is exactly what they want in that offense. Another Tom Brady, hopefully. Obviously, it's impossible to compare anyone to Brady, but immobile, pocket passer, cerebral type of quarterback is what they were looking for. 
Well, Mac Jones and his dad bod is going to have to do it with the worst wide receivers he's ever had to throw to, and now he's at the professional level. Unlike Aguilar. With Mac Jones now becoming the starter, that leaves two other quarterbacks who are not currently projected to be starters for week one. I'm curious as far as how to apply it to fantasy football here. How are you approaching Andy Dalton and Jimmy Garoppolo with Lance and Fields there? What I've seen from Justin Fields in preseason certainly proved a lot of what I thought of him coming into the draft incorrect. He had one of the best scores on one of those pre-draft tests, like the Wonderlick of quick processing. He's proven that he can run the offense there. And maybe the best schematical advantage that the Bears have is Justin Fields' athletic ability to extend plays off schedule, make the defense defend him running around. They had Tevin Jenkins, their second round pick at offensive guard from Oklahoma State, go down to season ending back injury. Andy Dalton is the week one starter, going to play the Rams. He may not even finish that game. I think Justin Fields, the fans are going to be clamoring for him. They traded up to get him. He's definitely the future there in Chicago. Jimmy Garoppolo is more interesting because whereas Justin Fields has looked great in preseason, Trey Lance has looked very inconsistent, completing fewer than 50% of his passes against second-string defenses. I think Jimmy Garoppolo could potentially hold on to that job longer than we see Andy Dalton do. Jimmy and Trey Lance are rumored to be quarterback platooning, even. We could see them both be used on the same drive. You know, Trey Lance comes in, takes two plays, runs a Robert Griffin type of offense that Shanahan ran in Washington runs those read options. We saw Mostert run off a nice 15-yard run because it's hard to tell who exactly has the ball when you have to account for that extra dynamic of the offense, extra dimension of the offense, where Lance has those legs. He's got the fastball. He can throw the 110 mile an hour, you know, hit the guy on the seam, but he's uh, not quite proven to be consistent as Jimmy Garoppolo is. And for a team that has a Super Bowl caliber roster, I would expect them to perhaps stick with the veteran presence longer than a team like Chicago, which is not quite expected to make that Super Bowl run. As far as Garoppolo and Dalton, these are pieces that I'm trying to add to a package to get a more secure QB prospect in return if I need QB. They're pieces I'm trying to add to a package to upgrade a position. These are pieces that if you can move them off, you can get out from under Dalton and Garoppolo while they still have value. Because the moment that Fields or Lance is named the starter, their value is almost nothing. And a lot of these are just going to be straight up dropped. So if you can get someone who is willing to take them, I'm trying to move them if there's any sort of interest there. Key people who might be interested, if you have Dalton, the person in your league who is rostering Justin Fields currently is going to be interested in Andy Dalton. The person who is rostering Lance is going to want Garoppolo. So these are just ways to start trade and then like whatever the rest of the package is. So that's how I'm approaching Dalton and Garoppolo, using them as pieces to secure better spots on my roster. It's a complex thing as far as how you're trying to manage assets on your roster, trying to balance out the values now and later. So on Monday, you and I shared a draft with some of our friends and members of the group and, you know, members of the active Dynasty Sleeper community. Yeah, the discrepancy of where... Jimmy and Andy Dalton went in that draft. It's certainly worth talking about. It was about nine rounds or eight, I guess, closer to eight and a half. 
I'm curious to see your reaction to how this draft played out. Specifically, what's changed here recently with like preseason and whatnot? And then maybe even what's changed since this draft because cuts came afterwards. I think it's interesting that we see Mac Jones go to the 501. That's about where I think he would go now. At the time, it seemed a little high above guys like Ryan Tannehill at quarterback, Stafford, Rodgers, Mayfield, all guys that at this point had more security than he did. Above guys like McLaren and injured J.K. Dobbins at that point, Allen Robinson, D.J. Moore. He was being valued quite highly there. We saw Jimmy Garoppolo go the 10-12, which I think is interesting, whereas we saw Andy Dalton go the 19-05, kind of like I was speaking about. There's this thought that Garoppolo could hang on to the job longer, perhaps get a job elsewhere as he is being paid $25 million over the next two years to be the Niners something. We saw Jared Goff get a job elsewhere after leading a team to the Super Bowl or being carried to the Super Bowl as it may have been. Garoppolo is a guy that could perhaps play his way into a Washington competition or a Las Vegas competition next year. A little high at the 10-12 for a guy that is presumed to be the eventual backup, eventually a free agent quarterback with an uncertain future. See a lot of the cuffs go a little early. I think there's a Tony Pollard reach at about 10.04 in this draft, which felt high even for our Pollard truthers that think he's the future at the position. Anything that stood out to you in specific? Well, each draft I approach with a different mentality. This one, I know it's a lot of my peers. They know exactly who I'm going to take when I'm on the clock, or at least they're all saying, go ahead and take him. We know who you're going to take. So like, for example, I got Kittle this draft. He fell to the fifth round. It was no tight end premium, but I know that with these guys specifically, this is a RB heavy room. There's a lot of RBs that are going to go before they might in drafts with other groups of people. Knowing this going in, I locked up RB within the first handful of rounds and then basically played the value game after that. A lot of our listeners here are not currently doing a startup, but what you can take from this is that whether you're zero RB or robust RB or hero RB or special special case scenario RB, whatever it is, they're all as fragile as the other. So I understand the argument for zero RB as far as taking RBs later so that you're not investing such a high draft capital in, in that position. The counter argument there is that we've lost three top 24 running backs so far this season. And by this season, I mean we haven't played a snap of regular season football yet. While zero RB truthers may be taking a victory lap, those who have robust RB who didn't happen to draft those three RBs that are currently hurt are doing victory laps themselves because now what they have is the appropriate starters for what is even more scarce of an asset with a stud RB. So part of my reason for, hey, I want to stack stud RBs until they're gone because if one goes down, yes, your value decreases by the amount of value decreased by that player who got injured, but you know whose value went up? Those other stud RBs that you have because now even fewer of those are out there in the pool to go around to compete against. So with this one, I was pretty pretty happy with how it ended. I really missed out on the run of QBs to be able to get my third QB, but was able to flip Gallup in third for Winston immediately post-draft. 
what was expressed was a whole bunch of different strategies amongst these guys. I'll share this draft board on Twitter and make sure everyone gets recognized and appreciated for joining this one with us. Certainly, like you said, see a bunch of different strategies. We saw certain teams go super old, perhaps going into a win-now mode. A lot of people in Dynasty like to do that, and then maybe go full rebuild at some point. They like to put all their eggs in one basket, as they think that gives them the best chance of winning. A noteworthy point in this draft was James Robinson went one pick ahead of Miles Sanders, ahead of the likes of Carson, Trey Sermon, at running back. Personally, think I'd much rather have Miles Sanders than James Robinson. Think Miles Sanders will be the running back to have in Philly this year, next. Perhaps get a job, an extension in Philadelphia, job somewhere else. Whereas James Robinson, after this year, ETN will come back and will be more involved in the offense. They have Carlos Hyde under contract next year. Doesn't quite seem like he'll be the bell cow for years to come, like Miles Sanders potentially could be. Definitely understandable. And hey, you took a break from your regular life on a Monday night and you were able to participate in a startup with me. And for that, I am greatly appreciative. I am greatly appreciative for all of those who joined into that draft and helped us do that. I'm appreciative to all you listeners, to Sleeper Wire, for giving us these opportunities to be here on the network, spread the good news about Dynasty and various players' values. We are getting better every episode. We are getting better every day. This is the goal, right? I mean, like, this is the goal you apply to everything. Improve a little bit every day. You know, you're better than the day before. You always have... There is always room to improve. Some of uh, my models, some of the people who help me out especially initially isaiah and steve both fantastic producers for sleeper wire producers are often the ones that are the last ones to be thought about when you go down your list of thanks and for them i'm appreciative of everything they do everything they've helped me do and everything they do for sleeper wire there appreciate sheehan for all his help i prefer to take the humble approach to everything there that you know there's always room for self-improvement no one is ever the best at anything you strive to be the best and that's a lifelong task it's something you never actually accomplish it's just something you always work on so regardless of success there is a continued effort to improve continually by the time uh, you hear us next football season will be back we'll be here henry will be here you're always trying to get better and someone who i idolize and respect a ton and seek you know opinions and information from is my boy henry here henry can you tell him where you can be found on twitter i can be found at clairvoyance ff if you have any trouble spelling that word, you're not the only one. Feel free to type it into Google and then uh, search me up on Twitter. Appreciate all the interactions. Any you know tweets at me about my hot takes that I've been known to have. They're not founded in nothing. Certainly have my unique differences of opinions. Do you have any like articles or anything you want to plug? Uh, I've been working on a few articles here about who the players are to have, who's going to make the final 53-man rosters, who are some deeper guys who you may not have heard of, right? Like the Raiders there for a minute had a name surfacing Dylan Stoner that I'm sure no one had heard of that people thought was a joke. Names that you thought were going to be something they get cut every year, like Kawan Baker for me. I know there were several people that took a Caleb Huntley victory lap after (laughs) Javian Hawkins got released. Turns out they both got released. So guys that you may have taken late dart throws in your rookie drafts may already be gone. 
and guys to replace them with on your taxi. That's an article I'm currently working on. You can never stop refilling your, your lineup there with new taxi guys as undrafted free agents start to emerge during the last week's year of camp and getting taxi squad poached and practice squad poached in the NFL. You hear it, guys. My guy is a genius here. He's just one of the uh, writers for Sleeper Wire. Make sure you check out everything they got going on there. I'm Iowa at Iowa in the NFL on Twitter. Follow us at Sleeper Wire Show on Twitter, where we post uh, the Dynasty Wire episodes. And I appreciate you all coming out tonight, taking some time. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. Absolutely. So thanks for hanging with us. Nope, you should have left that in there, actually.